Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast for the film stage. As always, I am Dan Mecca with Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how, how are you doing? How's your life going it's, right now? It's good. It's great. I'm great. I'm excited to do this. This is going to be- New York's one, open. You're you're just, you're loving life yeah, right I'm now. Yeah, I'm living my Vax life, you know? It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, fully it's Vax. Good. It's Ready good. to go. So yeah, this is an exciting episode. Um, we have a, a very, very smart and awesome guest who's going to talk about the lovely Marissa Tomei with us, who um, is kind of one of those people, I'm almost surprised it took us- this long to get to her because she has so many b-sides oh i should introduce the podcast as i say that this you know the with the b-side as you know we talk about movie stars not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous but the ones they made in between and today our guest is the wonderful jen johans who is the host of the watch with jen podcast which is very very good and you should definitely listen very to it. Jen, very informative very yeah. informative and entertaining jen how are you doing I'm doing great. That is such a kind introduction. And thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to discuss Marissa Tomei with you guys. She's one of my favorites. Yeah, Marissa is, it's almost like she's a sneaky favorite, I feel like, for a lot of people. It's funny now to think of her in the context of Marvel, right? Because she is in the Spider-Man universe, which is a funny, you know, like, you know, when her and Robert Downey Jr. have their little flirtatious scenes or what have you. It you know they they dated and they were in Chaplin together and they were in Only, only you, you together. Yeah, yeah. And and I love I love only, I love Only You too. Yeah, that's a that's a that, that's a isn't Billy Zane in Only You? Isn't it young? Yes, yes. and he's hilarious. He is. That's in that. that's an underrated. Yeah. Uh, that's one of those underrated uh, '90s rom coms. Um, another one I remember now that we're just talking about her. Another one, and this might actually this is actually a good segue into like how did. When did, when did we first see Marissa Tomei? This might have been it for me, actually. A movie early on in her career that I remember is Untamed Heart with yes. her and um, Christian Slater. Ooh. Back when Slater... Connor, have you seen Untamed Heart? I have not, but I'm going to put oh. that on tonight, apparently. Oh, Je- you need to. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Minneapolis. I remember when it was shot there, and my favorite thing about it is a lot of people do our accent and go like overboard. Marissa Tomei, I thought, did it very sweetly. She sounded like people I went to school with and other people's parents. And I remember loving her accent. So when I tell people what Minnesotans really sound like, I always say, watch Marissa Tomei in Untamed Heart. Well, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that movie, now, Jen, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the premise of that movie is um, she. <laughs> It's kind of falls in love with Christian Slater and he's but he's got a weak heart, right? That's like the right? Yes. He thinks he has a baboon's heart. Yes, though. yes, yes. What? Yes. I, it's that's the bad shit. Right. Yes. That's the untamed. Oh, I'm gonna, yeah. Yeah, I am a hundred percent watching this tonight. <laughs> that's the untamed part. I there was a girl who it was a high school must have been a high school girlfriend. She loved Bed of Roses, which oh, was right. also Christian Slater. 
and uh, oh, Mary Stuart Madison, Mary Stuart yeah. Madison and, um, and, and Untamed Heart, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And so we watched those along with like Felicity, if I'm remembering. So, so certainly, oh, wow. you know, you know, to be young, you know, young and impressionable. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so that's probably my in with Marissa's those, you know, Untamed Heart, probably only you back in the day, Jen, what about you? When do you remember when you like saw what you saw Marissa Tomei first at all? Definitely. I saw My Cousin Vinny when it was a new release uh, from the video store. My parents rented it. I kind of grew up in like a liberal household where we could basically watch whatever we were kind of... We talked about it. It was a mature uh, understanding of like, you know, language. We're not going to sit there and copy it, but we can discuss everything. So I was pretty young, but I saw My Cousin Vinny thought it was so funny i remember i watched it on like a sick day and it's one of only a handful of movies i remember watching twice in one day because mm. it was that just goddamn funny i mean and i thought the i love joe pesci but i thought she just matched him perfectly and she blew me away it's kind of funny to be recalling that actually because off air we were discussing after hours and our love of that film that's one of the only other movies that i remember the first time i saw watching twice in one day so nice little both warrant both warranted too i mean yeah i i rewatched cousin Vinny the other night just prepping and what as a refresher it's been a couple years since i've seen it um but it's but it the the energy of that movie is totally worth it like what you're talking about right where you just kind of finish it and you're like yeah i'll just i'll throw it on again why not (laughs) it's got a nice vibe um i know connor what a what is it my cousin Vinny for you too yeah it must be like my sit my older sisters had a big crush on robert downey jr so I remember only you, uh, if, if vaguely, like I definitely remember that getting rented a few times and thrown on. Um, but I, it's probably my cousin Vinny, but my weird thing was it's, uh, my experience with my cousin Vinny was like the references first and then the, and then the movie kind of thing. Cause I remember she must have hosted. I don't remember if she hosted, but she was on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I know. What you're, yes, the, the O.J. Simpson sketch, yeah. right, where they bring her character from Cousin Vinny in to, like, differentiate the Ford Bronco and all that. It's a very funny exactly. sketch. That yeah. I remember that was one of those things where I like I remember understanding the reference because I like sort of knew who her character was in Cousin Vinny okay. and being like, yeah, this is kind of funny. <laughs> and then like watching Cousin Vinny on like Comedy Central or whatever and being like, oh, yeah, no, it's very funny. Like, And, you know, yeah. we, we should say with my Cousin Vinny, and this is this is well-worn Oscar lore, but might as well just say it, you know, so she famously wins the Oscar for my Cousin yes. Vinny. It's a shocker, right? When it happens and the rumor, which I didn't know Rex Reed started. Did you know this? I did not know that he was the one who started. I didn't know it was Rex. Yeah. So apparently it was Rex. And obviously I think Marissa Tomei was hurt by it, obviously. But the rumor is essentially that um, Jack Palance said the wrong name and, Mm. and they just, everybody just was complicit in like, you know, the cover up of the century and, you know, Price Waterhouse had to come out and be like, 
look, that didn't happen. Like yeah. she won and all this stuff. But and then their point how. was proven in 2017, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Because they came. Yeah, they, they would have stopped yeah, the show. Exactly. Exactly. They came out and they were like, hey, no, no, no. Like we would not we would never let that happen. And they, well, let me tell you something. So. You say they came out. They did not come out. The The La La Land producer was a Jordan Horowitz, I believe. He's the one who, who you know, was the great. He was the yeah, one who I was guess, like, right, right, which, right. Which I always, you know, as a producer for my day job, I always appreciated when that happened. People are like on Twitter. I remember they were like, people ask what producers do. And they like sh- screenshotted him. And I'm like, yeah, like that is a great distillation <laughs> of what a producer does. Things are going crazy. And the producer's like, wait, hang on. Wait, <laughs> let me just explain to you what's going on. This is the plan. And then now we have to do this, right? Or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that is literally what I get paid to do on a daily basis. But, but it wasn't. Um, that did. I mean, I mean, I that didn't happen when she won her Oscar, though, right? It was no, just no, no, like no, she no. won, and no, it was, no, no, you know, it was yeah. such a surprise. Yeah. It was such a surprise that I think people it just became a legend, and obviously was, you know. So, but anyway, a funny thing, just going as we move into her. Uh, so, the four movies we're going to focus on today are um, John Landis's Oscar from 1991. Speaking of which, Nick, <laughs> yes. Nick Cassav- yeah, yeah, uh, Nick is uh unhook the stars which i believe came out in 1996 yes mm-hmm. um joe Cherbonics, uh the washer <laughs> from 2000 and then um finally brad anderson's film uh happy accidents which i think ultimately got released in 2001 though it premiered at sundance in 2000 if i'm not mistaken if so in any case we'll end on happy accidents we're not gonna exactly. end yeah, on yeah, the yeah. watcher <laughs> no yeah which okay. is which is nice um yeah <laughs> but so you know Tomei, uh, born in New York City, kind of made made a career in soaps to start, you know, uh, as the world turns, what have you. Um, she had small roles in like The Flamingo Kid, I think even an uncredited role, if Wikipedia is to be believed, in The Toxic Avenger. But Oscar is really one of her first... I would say her first really big Hollywood role where she plays the daughter of Sylvester Stallone's uh, gangster and Oscar, the titular Oscar, which is like such a funny title in the context of the movie, is the chauffeur that she's supposed to marry who you barely meet. And it's only as like kind of a punchline in some regards. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, we'll start with Oscar. Um, This is obviously... Like Connor pointed out, she was going to win her Oscar only the year after this. She's also in Zandali, which is around the same time, which is a crazy movie with Nick Cage and um, Judge Reinhold, uh, which is just could have been a definitely could have been a B-side, probably more like a C-side. But um, <laughs> yeah, so Oscar, Connor, why don't you tell us what Oscar's about? Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah. You gave me the one that is, of course, the easiest to talk about. Um yeah, so basically, Oscar is about a gangster played by Sly Stallone, um, who is essentially his dad, who's Kirk Douglas in one scene. It's a pretty funny scene, actually. Pretty funny scene. The, the, the opening scene of the movie, his dad is on his deathbed, and his dad is like, hey, like, just don't be a gangster anymore, basically, right? And he promises his dad on his deathbed yeah, go that, straight, he's gonna yeah. go, that he's going to go straight, right? So... It's essentially it, it essentially just, you know, we we f- jump forward a little bit and he is in the process of 
attempting to do this via engaging in some business with some bankers. And the whole movie takes place, not the whole movie, but the majority of the movie takes place in one day, right? One afternoon uh, where he's waiting for these bankers to show up. Meanwhile, um, his accountant comes to him and says, hey, I want to raise because I want to marry your daughter. Right. And Sly's like, no, of course. Right. He's just he gets indignant. He's upset. Meanwhile, the whole time, like he's he's juggling like these funny things of, you know, trying to tell his his second, like the heavy Chaz Palminteri, like, hey, don't call me boss. Like, so he's there are all these little things that are flying. around. It's very it's got a, it's got a good madcap energy to me. I mean, I kept thinking of like a, it, it has a really strong Preston Sturgis vibe. And I mean that as like a huge compliment, like it it's does. got this kind of. It, it's got this kind of screwball energy, old school screwball energy um, that I think it mostly succeeds at, which, you know, I think is it, it weirdly unfairly maligned given the movie's reputation, I suppose. Well, and like, but, and like Peter Rieger as the other hood is like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like everybody some of the best line reads. I, yeah, I, I'll get I'll, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But like, I think obviously there are ways this movie can be improved. But generally speaking, as it stands, it's I it's like really enjoyable and like and like totally worth somebody's time. But anyway, totally. as things unfold, basically, Marissa Tomei, who plays Sly's daughter, is kind of this, you know, and she I think even mentions at one point in the movie, she's like living in a gilded cage. Right. Like they he doesn't let her out, go out, yes. do anything. Right. But na naturally, obviously, given his profession, she's well taken care of, but she just wants to, like, escape. Right. So. She sort of hears about this and you realize quickly that the woman hit, uh, Sly's accountant is talking about is not Marissa Tomei. It's a different woman that was pretending to be Sly's daughter in order to kind of like gain the attention of this accountant, basically. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of mistaken identity going around, not just with the two daughters, frankly, but also the men who want to marry them. And Sly essentially makes it his mission to marry his daughter off to somebody who like, you know, who is essentially worth it because it then devolves into she's actually in love with the chauffeur or she sorry, she's not in love with the chauffeur, but she mentions that the chauffeur got her pregnant, but he doesn't want her to marry the chauffeur. So he essentially lies to the accountant and it's this whole back and forth, you know, he said she said sort of mistaken identity uh comedy of errors right mm -hmm. all the while there's the uh the fbi who's spying on this operation played by a couple really great character actors you would know and um they're sort of watching all this because they're just convinced that uh that Sly, he's not going legit, yeah, yeah. who is angelo provolone yeah. i believe is his name yeah right? angelo Pro yeah. snaps snaps, snaps. Provolone. yeah which you know good little gangster name um, perfect yeah. name, perfect name. Love um, the name. it is great too because because of the like anytime he talks to somebody he just like snaps and points it's great right, um, right, right. but basically they're not convinced that angelo is going to go legit so they're watching all this stuff happen meanwhile there is this uh, other wealthy man who is is marrying uh, Snap's maid, main, like main housekeeper. Yeah, his Irish maid. Yeah. yeah, and she is essentially leaving to go live a better life, right? 
And then there becomes a whole sort of switcheroo with bags, one's full of money, one's full of her lingerie. Well, don't get, yeah, don't, don't give all of it away. No, though. and it's, and yeah, it's yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. this, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that, yeah, that yeah. you know, the movie kind of runs in circles as, as it deals with. Uh, Tim Curry pops up as an, <laughs> as an elocutionist who is a great, so in a great role. Um, He's so funny. Don Amici as the priest is good too. Yes. Yeah. No, and, the, yeah. and there's a ton of, uh, yeah, like I said, there's just a ton of great screwball energy into the movie. Jen, what did you what do you think of this movie? Seems like you like it, yeah? Oh yeah. I remember being delighted by it back in the day when I first saw it. As an adult, I love both the energy, which is very screwball, but it's also extremely French because it's a remake mm -hmm. of a French film from I wanna say like sixty seven. Yeah, yeah. The director based on a play. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the director of that later made La Caja Faux, oh, which okay, he remade yes. into The Birdcage. Bird yeah. And, um, you know, French comedy especially, it's it kind of reminds me of British comedy a little mm -hmm. bit. There's slamming doors, everybody is hiding something, and the energy is very high. You can't take it fully literally. I mean, you have to just go in and turn your brain off a little mm -hmm. bit, but it's so funny, and I think this is a nice marriage of that tradition, uh, both the French, the British slamming door sex farces, um, and also the screwball. I also think that Stallone is great in it. I guess they wanted Al Pacino, but then he backed out and did Dick Tracy yeah. uh, because of the money. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. But I think Stallone actually does really well. I get the biggest kick out of Martin Ferrero and Harry Shearer. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you know, they are the anyone listening who hasn't watched it. And I'll tell you what, as, a, as an Italian, I I love that stuff. Like, I, you know, it's funny. We, I am, too. I love that. We, we, yeah, we yeah. like, yeah, we like, you know, I, you get into that thing of like, I I get appropriation, all these. I totally I get it. But I I think it's one of those things where it's like. It's such a funny performance, and it's like it to know to even be from an Italian family. My yeah. my family's not like that, but it's like you know people like that or whatever, and it just it just makes you laugh because you just like think about those memories, and, and I just I think in general this movie it, it was a lot of that for me actually, if I'm being honest, because it's like yeah, I agree with you, uh, Jen, in terms of. Stallone and I know Connor. I feel like maybe you'll a little disagree with us on this, but like, yeah, I'll get, I love, I'll get to it in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that Stallone is in it instead of Pacino, partly because I love Dick Tracy too, and I love that Pacino ended up doing Dick Tracy. It's great that we have both movies, and I think you know Landis sure. for all of his faults, and there are many, of course, and we know them oh, and yeah. what what not. He was a great comedy director, right? Like he really was. Like Blues Brothers, right? Um, uh, you know Beverly Hills Cops, for God's sake you know, uh, trading, uh, trading places, um, to name a few, right. He didn't direct Beverly Hills Cop. Though. Oh, Mar Brest. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank no, you. Thank fine. you. But, um, but, um, point being, it's nice to see him kind of be able to make a movie that's yeah. an homage to, like you said, Jen, so many different, you know, genres, styles of comedy and yeah. And this was a weird time for Stallone. This is uh, this is a Marissa Tomei episode, but just for the context, you know, Stallone at this point 
was actively trying to make movies that weren't action movies, right? So he made this, he made Stopper, My Mom, Mom Will Shoot the next year. <laughs> yeah. And I always feel like this movie gets like, and at the time also, they get combined as like, oh, the two shitty comedies that Sly Stallone True. made in between Cliffhanger and, <laughs> you know, Tango and Cash. And it's like, it's kind of unfair, you know? Yeah. You know, just because even though I actually I watched Stopper, my mom will shoot as well, just to have context. And that's actually it's not as bad as you think. There's like a lot of funny moments in that movie as well, to be honest. I mean, it's not a great film, but it's funny to go back and watch that. Even that I feel like nostalgia plays a factor, but Estelle Getty's great in it. So anyway, but um, Connor, tell us why you think Al Pacino would have been better. It, it's more I the 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 Pacino being the first choice just makes intrinsically more sense for obvious reasons, right? Because you're just, yeah. you're then operating on a sort of winking, you know, uh, gangster persona, things like that. And I think he's got a little bit more of the energy for it, frankly, like just in terms of his natural energy. I think Stallone succeeds in the movie, just to be clear. I think he, I think he pulls it off successfully. And I think to your point, Dan, he gets a little too much shit for it because like, I think it's also a really great use case of how close or how how I how how do I say this how sort of narrow the gulf is between action and comedy right in terms of just the style of performing right yeah and I think he's got a lot of that physical energy that translates and I think translates pretty well I just think that if you had someone who was actually a comedic actor who like could sell it i think a little bit more um i think you'd be in a slightly better spot like i was thinking as you and i were talking off air the other day dan like as i was watching it like i was thinking somebody like uh somebody like walken would have really sold this really well like and again oh chris christopher walken yeah like like maybe not the star power quite as much obviously so like i, I get why it wasn't him and again i'm not trying to like rewrite the movie in terms of like it is what it is um but I was just trying to kind of wrap my head around like, oh, like it, whatever it is that Stallone's lacking, I think could have been made up for by somebody else. But I don't think, I think, I think he and the movie do get a bad reputation in terms of like, I think he succeeds, you know, and I think he, I think mm -hmm. he makes it all work. Like I, what's funny is like it, I don't know, the reputation would, would suggest that like even people who like this movie might be like, oh, it's bad, but it's like fun bad. And I'm like, I don't even know if this movie's bad, like at all. I think it's just yeah. good. I think it's based, it like succeeds on all fronts. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it's kind of funny that, um, that he, so he plays her dad, right? Marissa Tomei's and dad, And yeah. they, what did I give you the math the other day, Dan? And I can't remember it now. Well, yeah, but, so Jen, Connor was saying how, Sly plays Marissa Tomei's dad in this movie, and then the next year, oh, she plays Joe, Joe Pesci's fiance. Joe Pesci's, yeah, and it's and, the age. Yeah. And like yeah. Joe Pesci is, is like, old enough to play her dad, right? Like it's, yeah, it's it's like it's just a you know, I mean, it's yeah, exactly. That's what I it's said. I was like Hollywood, baby. Um, yeah. It is funny too, kind of unrelated, but like even to watch Cousin Vinny, you're sort of like it feels like they're aware of it because that also feels like the youngest and most handsome Joe Pesci might ever look in a movie, you know, like, <laughs> um, so that it feels like they're trying to like close that gap a little bit. But as it, I mean, as it pertains to her and Oscar, um, 
I think she's great. I think she totally like gets the assignment um, in terms of yeah. the vibe and, and and what she kind of brings to it. I, like, obviously, I think she generally has a kind of, you know, I, I think she's known for a somewhat manic energy in certain performances. And I think um, I think this is very, you know, very much indicative of that. Yeah, I think there's a sweetness and a sass. Mm-hmm. Um, she's always kind of half flirtatious, but you know there's going stuff going on upstairs when you see Marissa Tomei. Like she might use mm-hmm. her sex appeal, but there's more to her characters. That seems to be kind of a recurring theme. Like she might have in the forties been like a Rita Hayworth or one of those kind of uh, actresses. That's a great comp. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting listening to you talk about um, Pacino. I don't really see him as being the greatest at comedy. And I was trying to think of the time, like, who would I have maybe cast or filled in? I was thinking maybe um, Joe Montaigne might have been really good. Um, I'm trying to think of Italian actors. Leota might have been great. Joe Pesci, actually. Now it's going to be creepy when you think he played her fiance but <laughs> i think they all would have been great um yeah but pesci, I, pesci i think i i watched these but i watched both those movies back to back so it was yes. yeah i was kind of like i watched i watched cousin Vinny first but i i then watched oscar and it's funny i didn't think of pesci when i was watching oscar but you mentioned but it. you but, but but jen you also said joe montagna right yeah yeah montagna is a great idea actually and you know around this time he's playing joey zaza in the underrated yes. <laughs> in the, i think the underrated godfather three which oh he killed yeah that. he's great i mean him and uh garcia are amazing in that movie uh and that movie yep. that the new release uh the death of michael corleone uh the godfather coda okay. that's actually a great mm-hmm. uh it's a great re-release uh a kind of a re re-edit yes. of that movie actually but um yeah, Montaigne is a great point. I think the thing I was thinking about this is a good kind of segue even with Tomei. I think the manic energy earlier in her career is so abundant, obviously. But then I think the thing that ends up almost, you know, the thing that is revealed about her as she goes on is there is an approachability to yeah. her that I think in a movie like obviously – the wrestler or in the bedroom, my God, that performance is yes. unbelievable. You, you you get that sensuality, Jen, that you're talking about, which is so important to her character. But you also feel like she could live, like not on like Unhooked the Stars, right? Which which we'll get to. You she could live across the street, right? And you would be like, oh, yeah, that's Marissa who lives across the street. Yeah. Like she's, you know, like you know. So I think not every movie star, actress, actor has that, and I think. To a lesser degree, Sly, in his more humble moments, also does have that. It's and, the reason like Rocky Copland works. Or, well, yeah, it's the, look, yeah. it's the reason Rocky works at, at the beginning, right? It's the re- Very true. It's the reason yeah. Rambo works. At Vulnerability. The, yeah, and it's funny because it's like, you know, Rocky and Rambo become these totally different characters. But like yes. in, <laughs> in their original incarnations, the vulnerability yeah. is the whole thing. Yeah. And then he he absolutely in Stopper My Mom Will Shoot and in this movie that's a huge part of the comedy where he's like playing dopey and it's it's kind of cute like even in Cliffhanger you know we we were lucky enough to speak with Rennie Harlan uh, recently who directed Cliffhanger like he they talked about like 
adding scenes at the beginning of that movie to almost instill that vulnerability back into the characters because he had become such a big star with other movies like Cobra and, you know, like uh, Lock Lock Up, where it's like just these intense action performances. Um, And then ironically, when he does Copland, like you mentioned, Connor, it doesn't perform that well and he gets gun shy about doing those roles. And it's such a shame. It's a bummer, yeah because he's amazing in that it's yeah I, I for my money it's the best performance he's ever given i think he's so good in that movie it's up there for sure copland yeah we talked about that uh, we did slice the loan uh about a year ago or so and we talked about copland yeah that's a great uh that's a great performance for sure yeah but um yeah this is a great start for tomei like we said she's gonna by a year from now be on the top of the world which is crazy to think about um only in her like third movie, fourth movie. And um, funny enough, speaking of old, her comping her to older actresses from uh, you know an earlier generation, she does play Mabel Normand in Chaplin, which I think is funny. Yes, she does. You know, um, yeah. in a that's a pretty hefty ensemble movie if you haven't seen it, directed by Richard Attenborough. I don't know if it's a great movie, but it's one of those movies where you get. You get Downey Jr. playing Chaplin. Mm-hmm. You get Kevin Klein playing Douglas Fairbanks. So you're getting. You get some amazing performances for sure. Um, so it's worth watching. But um Yeah. What any final words on Oscar, Jen? Any any final thoughts on uh No, but it's interesting you're talking about Chaplin because that was the film that made me realize I could write about film as a career. Uh when I was a kid, uh I had a big crush on Robert Downey Jr. I for some reason got him confused with Chaplin. And so we were supposed to write a biography, like a paper in sixth grade. And I chose Chaplin and I got interested in, in classic movies. And my teacher submitted it to some district writing competition without telling me. And I won. And uh, after that, I, I realized, wow, you can actually just write about movies. That's incredible. <laughs> so I'd like to oh say that Chaplin and my crush on Robert Downey Jr. is the reason I'm here, basically. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if we mentioned at the top, but uh, yeah, uh, film intuition, right? I guess wouldn't wouldn't be here without Chaplin or Robert Downey Jr. and Marissa Tomei. Yeah, yeah. Mabel <laughs> Norman. Yeah, Mabel, <laughs> exactly. Marissa, Richard. Thank you, Richard Attenborough. Yeah. Gosh, six degrees. <laughs> You know, that's such a funny. I love stories like that because I, my version of that is, you know. Um, I was watching LA Confidential as a younger person mm-hmm. and in the final shootout at the Victory Motel, oh, I, I remember that. thinking while I was watching that shootout, it was the first time I ever thought, how did they actually do this? Like I'm watching, I know it's a movie, but now I'm actually thinking for the first time, I would love to know mm-hmm. how they actually made this happen. Cause I loved it so much. And that yeah. was my first like s- step towards wanting to make movies, you know, and then, um, the rest is history, as they say. But um, speaking of uh, LA Confidential, have you done like a Curtis Hanson episode? Am I gonna have to if, go and if, like if Google you, that right if away? You wanna call, if you want to call dibs on it, it's yours. We have. <laughs> oh my goodness! We, we wanted it. to. We wanted to. Yeah. So Curtis yeah. Hanson. Oh, so Jen, it's so funny. He, yeah, he's one of my favorites because yes. in 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 my top ten are two. Curtis Hansen movies, which is so weird, but it's just the truth, which is LA Confidential and Wonder Boys. Oh, which Wonder Boys is like one it's of my the favorite best. movies. It's, yes. Yeah, it's the best. It's one of the absolute best. Yeah, I love Wonder Boys. I broke down uh, Wonder Boys with Walter Cha on my podcast, and it was so much uh, fun. Yeah. But anyway, back to you about uh, Curtis Hansen. 
Oh no, yeah. The I think the only I think the only episode we've covered of his on on this was uh, we did a Gerard Butler episode. So we talked about uh, we talked about chasing Mavericks, which we, he was directing and then had to drop out of because right, yeah. Michael Apted yeah. took himself. over. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that would ended up being his last movie, sadly. Um, but so moving on to Unhook the Stars, right? So just quickly in the Marissa Tomei of it all. Yes. Um, so Marissa is in my cousin Vinny. We talked about she's in Equinox, which I forgot, which is the uh, Alan Rudolph movie, Untamed oh, yeah. Heart, which we talked about. Only You, great movie, we love. A movie, one of my personal favorites, The Paper. Howard is the paper. Yeah, she's Michael Keaton's uh, um, pregnant wife, and she's actually one of the funniest parts of the movie because her whole bit in the movie is because she's on maternity leave. She's desperate to be working at the paper, (laughs) so like she's like just trying to get like anything out of her husband Michael Keaton just from the newsroom. It's almost like like, it's almost like a pseudo sequel to His Girl Friday. Like it's like. If two, you know what I mean? It's like a if two bit. journalists, yeah. like, they, yeah. they, yeah, they get married, but then they have the kid and she goes on maternity leave, but she can't leave the job. It's, yeah, anyway, she's got, yeah, again, that's a good, it's, it's a madcap energy thing. Like, yeah, that's a very underrated, underappreciated movie. Uh, that's, I would recommend yeah, that to anybody. So and then, you know, the Perez family, you know, the, the casting there is a little problematic, but Mira Nair, uh, obviously, um, it's, it's, uh, Angelica Houston and um, Alfred Molina as well, Chess Palmentary as well, and that actually, and then um, and then yeah, we come to Unhook the Stars, which is Nick Cassavetes' is first movie as a director, who is of course John Cassavetes' son and Gina Rollins' son, and Gina Rollins is in the movie with Marissa Tomei and Jen. Actually, I loved. I was it you who tweeted the uh, Gina Rollins is yeah you you tweeted this right. Gina Rollins is best when. She's yes. protecting the local person. <laughs> the in, neighborhood boy. Her, yes. <laughs> in, yeah. in, in, in a fam in a family it, member's movie. Because a, John yeah. Cassavetti's glory. I'm trying to remember my yeah, something like um that's one of my favorite subgenres is uh Rollins <laughs> protects neighborhood boy in a movie made by a relative, basically. Yeah, by yes. a, yeah. Program a, a double feature. Program it's a, 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 a letterbox list of two for you. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's, it's, and it's funny because the remake of Gloria comes out, I think like the next year, the Sydney Lumet, Sharon Stone remake of Gloria is around the same time. Um, but so yeah, Nick Cassavetes writes and directs and I can, I'll do the quick plot of this. It's basically, I saved the easy one for myself, obviously, which is (laughs) nice. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but the plot is, it's very simple. It's, um, Gina Rollins is, um, an older woman who has a son who is an adult and married and successful. And she's, and he's, she's got a young adult daughter played by Maura Kelly. Shout out to all the West wing season one fans out there who, um, who (laughs) exactly cutting edge, right? That's right. Cutting edge. That's right. I forgot about that. Exactly. Um, (laughs) she, she's such a little bastard. Maura Kelly in this movie. God. Uh, anyway, okay. So, I'm glad you kind of. We'll get into it. I'm glad so, you kind of said that because I had a hard time gauging like how no, I was so, supposed so, to feel about. So poor, poor. <laughs> she was a bitch. Now look, yes. I, yeah. I I I read a few reviews. Um, and this movie's kind of it was moderately reviewed, which I find a little funny because it is a, yeah. a, a just a down the middle good movie, which I always think. But 
there's a lot of like, oh, it's a Nick Casavetes is owed to his mom. Like it's like yeah. a bad thing. And it's I like, know. I don't even understand. Like, and you got an ode to his mom who's also one of our greatest living actors. Like why, I don't know why that's a problem, but okay. Anyway, but yeah. um, so basically the long and short of it is Maura Kelly is tired of her mother and she leaves. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. Gina Rylands is a fully empty nester with not much to do. And across, literally across the street, there's a young couple. Uh, the wife is Marissa Tomei and it's a clearly an abusive relationship. And there's a young son, young Jake Lloyd, the one and only Anakin himself um, in, in the movie. And I, um, and I actually think Jake Lloyd's very good in this movie. Um, yeah. but, um, so basically one, one day, uh, the abusive husband has left. Marissa Tomei has no one to watch her kid, um, JJ. So she frantically approaches Gina Rollins, who's more than happy to do it. And a fast friendship emerges between Gina Rollins and young Jake Lloyd. And along with that, a uh, friendship between Marissa Tomei and Gina Rollins. Meanwhile, a trucker who stops in from time to time, played by Gerard Depardieu, yeah. uh, becomes a, a time piece. A time piece. <laughs> yeah, this is like two years after my father, the hero, right? So he's like, yeah, it's, it's like that. It's like that. Just that weird pocket where yeah, green green car. Yeah, Depardieu you know, was like the French hottie, right? Like, and it's like, well, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, just he funny was a hot, thing. Yeah, he was a hottie I mean, he was in the eighties, though. I was gonna no, say no, no, he I, was that's yeah. what I, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like this is like the tail end of it right before he kind of right, turns right. into Shrek. Yeah, that's like, true. And no, I'm not trying to I'm not that's mean. I'm not trying to be mean. No, but, but, <laughs> but we it's all not, we not, all know, you know, not we all know untrue, what not untrue. Yeah, because it's funny, you're right, because literally like two years from now he plays Porthos in the Right, like exactly. He's like he's in the he's man in two years away from playing the fat musketeer. Right? Musketeer, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point, actually. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So but he's very charming in this movie. It's a small role. I yeah. believe he I think he produced this movie. So he I think did. it's kind of one of those things where he's in it because he was overseeing it type of a thing. And um anyway, it's like that's the movie. It's a lovely movie. It's 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 a very nice <laughs> movie about people trying their best right and, and i think a lot of times with movies like this you get cynical because you go yeah. like what yeah. is it about why did you make this it's an ode to his mom whatever like and i find that the older i get the more aggravated i get with those types of reactions because i'm just <laughs> like life is hard can we just we can enjoy a movie about yeah. people trying their best <laughs> like come on yeah i mean i think um I, I think part of what you're talking about, Dan, is probably the result of like, and I don't know what press was like for this movie, maybe while it was getting made or whatever. Right. So like. Maybe the thing was like, hey, Nick Cassavetes is making a movie and he's making it's an ode to his mom. And maybe you think like, oh, are we going to get like some version of woman under the influence or something? Right. Like, like, so like not a nice movie is the point right well, like well, something that feels but, so, like raw and honest or something like that but what's funny it's funny you say that because his next movie okay mm -hmm. is she so lovely right which yeah. is also an underrated movie and he took his dad john cassavetes an unproduced script called she's so lovely 
Yeah. Yeah. Gina Rollins is also in that picture, if I recall correctly. And it's a really underrated movie. It's um Robin Wright, Sean Penn, and John Travolta. Yeah. And it's but it's not a nice movie. It's about a fractured relationship. It's like a way, it's a way more of a John Cassavetti's movie. movie. Yeah. And um I just have to it, wonder if that's maybe yeah. what people were. Like well, so no, when but, they but got guess, when they got a super earnest movie, they were like, the fuck is this? Like, well, but my but my it's an interesting yeah. but my point is they got that movie the next year yeah. and they didn't care about they didn't care about that one either. That's a good yeah. You know, so I just think and look, you gotta remember it's the nineties. There were a million independent movies. It was a boon for the independent, you know, theater, you know, and so some movies just got lost. Like it's clear there was an idea of an Oscar campaign for this movie for Gina Rollins, and it just never sparked. You know, which happens. Never won, just, never won an Oscar, which is insane. Insane. Yeah. Well, I let mean, me she just, never she got an honorary Oscar, but never like won one in competition. And, and let, let me just say this and Jen, then I just want to hear your unhooked the stars thoughts. But Oscar and unhooked the stars are two, are like the reason we do the show. Like they're yeah. like two movies where it's like they're good. Like yeah. Marissa Tomei is great in them. Like nobody talks about them and they're just sitting there for you to watch. So I just think it's nice. It's nice to you know, uh, see and, and talk about a movie like this. Anyway, Jen, I've talked too much over to you. I don't know. You're fine. And it's interesting that these were the first and second movies from Nick Cassavetes, because in a way, Marissa Tomei's character is really feisty. And it's basically like she walked over from, she's so lovely, essentially, or, uh, a movie that like mm -hmm. John would have made is very much her character. Um, you know, the cuts are a little more frenetic when she's on the screen. We're closer. We're zoomed in on her because she's very chaotic. She doesn't know. Uh, she can barely sometimes string thoughts together when she's focused on something. It's a really incredible performance. It's very visceral. It's very like uh, Jenna Rollins from the early 70s is what Marissa is kind of doing in this movie, whereas uh, Jenna is playing a little bit of her Gloria persona, but a sweeter side of it. It isn't, um, you know, she's not like aiming guns at people in this movie <laughs> or anything like that. But no, I, I think it's a really good movie. I'm a little scorned on the ending. I feel like it kind of just runs out of gas and it feels like a little bit of a, a short story you write in creative writing class where it's like, yep, she's getting on a plane. But you start thinking, does that make sense for her character, the woman we've seen through the whole movie? And I, I mean, I love the idea in theory, but I feel like it needed a little more resolution than we got. But she yeah. is so phenomenal in it. And I mean, the entire cast is really good. It's also kind of cool to see like Brigitte Wilson before she oh, made, yeah. yeah, like Billy Madison before she before made Brigitte Wilson Sampras. Sampras. Yes. yes, yes, yeah. So it's it's good to see her. I think it's and you know it's really funny, yeah. Jen, this is the second Brigitte Wilson Sampras movie we've done in as many weeks because we talked about we Kate Diggs. Yeah. And she's in House on House Haunted on Hill. Hill yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So we, we've been talking, we've been heavy on the Brigitte <laughs> Wilson Sampras. What I liked about seeing her in this movie was like, you expect her to be just this kind of like super yeah. cold person. Um, and she's lovely. Like, she's and she, better than the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's this really, yeah, I, 
I, yeah, I was I was struck by her kind of because you, you're expecting her to have kind of like a quote unquote bitchy moment with like Marissa Tomei or something like that. Like you're expecting her to like say the wrong thing or say something kind of, you know, sarcastic or snide. And it never happens. And I kind of, I guess, also back to your point, Dan, is like, I think there's a lot that you're expecting out of this movie like that kind of stuff and it doesn't happen but not in any kind of disappointing way it's It's just sort of delightful like it's just sort of like nice (laughs) you know it's jen it's funny you mentioned the short story thing because as you said that you know it made me think there is like a raymond carvery thing to it (laughs) where you know aspects yeah (laughs) <laughs> and and just and you you know Ray, Raymond Carver was a little bit sadder in what he wrote. You know, obviously, if you guys have seen Everything Must Go, which is based on his short story, oh, yes. um, you know, which that movie has Will Ferrell, kind of a kind of a good underrated movie, but also a movie where similarly at the end you kind of go like, okay, is that it? Like, yeah, yeah. a little bit. There's there's, <laughs> there's kind of not, and you know Carver, who's an amazing writer, I think, you know, by his own admission kind of wrote to a fade out a lot of times and and not that that was they're very powerful stories i mean you know look at like something like shortcuts you know there's stories in there that you'll remember for the rest of your life uh you're talking about the robert uh altman movie there but um but there's a bit of that to it you're totally right where you know basically without fully spoiling on hook the stars cassavetti's and and company basically their their thesis is people can change even at an older age yes. and that's great uh-huh. and and you're meant to be like okay but maybe give isn't me it, a little more right yeah. like, isn't know. it and again i don't i don't want to spoil what happens necessarily but the resolution she comes to or as much of a resolution as we get right at the end of the movie i had to like rewind because i thought i like missed a scene yeah. Like I thought exactly. I was like, oh, did yeah. I miss a scene where she made yeah, this to, decision? Yeah, yeah, to Jim's point. Yeah, kind yeah, of, and, exactly. and it's yeah. and it and I, but it just had me wondering from maybe like an editorial standpoint. I'm like, oh, was it maybe never there? Did they shoot a thing and then cut it out to kind True. of like trim the fat? Like, because it's maybe. not a, it's not a long movie. It's you know it it, it moves pretty breezily, um, and I yeah I couldn't help but think that. But it, uh, to the to Mar- Marissa Tomei of it all. I'm glad you mentioned what you mentioned, Jen, because I couldn't I was thinking the same thing while watching it in terms of the like, oh, she's channeling Rollins. Right. Like it's you could you could pluck her and put her in a in a in a, you know, 70s Cassavetti movie, 70s Cassavetti's movie, and she'd fit right in. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think I to me, this feels like where she. And, and there maybe in some of the B-sides we sort of talked about in her filmography, but haven't dug into, you know, maybe there's a better example of this. But at least in so far as the movies we're talking about, you know, you have you have my cousin Vinny, right? And you have Oscar who, that have this comedic madcap energy. And this movie feels to me like a pivot towards what I think more people might associate or associate her with. Like you said, Dan, it's that person next door type thing. But there's also like there's the madcap manic energy underrooted by like a deep seated sadness or brokenness to to it. And I and again, I can't I can't necessarily say that this is the movie that did that, but it just feels like one of those benchmarks in her career where she kind of pivots to that, because then as you know, you get to in the bedroom, you get later down the road to the wrestler 
uh, or even l- like last night prepping for this, I rewatched uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which is also an amazing performance by her um, that that have that all, all that thing. Right. Like that's like her lane that she like, I think, uh, succeeds the most in. Um, and I feel like this is kind of a, a, you know, an initial, maybe not a prototype, but you know, an early version of that. I feel like we wouldn't have maybe gotten those without this performance. Like this was a step towards it. I think that's a really good point. I also think it's fascinating her dynamic in the film with Roland's because, uh, especially with Moira Kelly's character, you almost wonder would the film have been stronger either if they, I don't know if they deleted the character, but did something different and then built their relationship a little bit more because I feel like it's almost a repeat of that dynamic or maybe mm-hmm. it's supposed to be um, sometimes right, like you're a... too close to the one you're related to but that same person in somebody else you can have a little bit more empathy towards that could be the point like I I would find it interesting to talk to all of the Cassavetes uh, Zoe Cassavetes is a great filmmaker in her own right uh, the daughter and Nick as well and I find it interesting in the movie that Nick made, of course, mom favors the son and has mm-hmm. like a battle with the daughter. Maybe. Oh, they, I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's, yeah were that's they a having some point. issues back then? And like, is everything great now? Of course. Or, right. or what? I mean, back when they were all around, of course. But, but Jen, isn't it interesting though? Cause one of the things, one of the subtle things I like in this movie, when it, the way it touches the, these relationships is, she openly admits she always loved the son more, yes. which is, I, I love that. That's a great that. scene. And, and, and that it bar really scene is, is great. Yeah. But then what's, what I think is kind of interesting in the performance in the, and even the, the script itself is you realize, of course, that now that they're all adults, she realizes that she probably she respects Moira Kelly more now and, and, and has realized she spoiled the son. Yeah. And it's that thing of just like almost realizing like, oh, I kind of did this the wrong way, maybe. And like and then on a personal level, just something I, I, I just love because it reminded me of my grandfather is her just like reading the encyclopedia, mm. you know, and like just spouting facts. Oh, like my I know. my yeah. grandfather, God bless, was like was so that person like when you when we would visit him, he would just be like telling me things as though like he was just trying to get it all in before his uh his kidneys failed or whatever you know it was just like it was just a funny uh it was funny so it helps too that like the the um like her relationship with jake lloyd i mean it just helps that like in this movie jake lloyd's like the cutest kid in in the world right like you just see that kid and it made and it made me think too like I have to want right because this is like two or th- this is like three years before three years he, before he get, Phantom, yeah, right. So so maybe like a year before he gets cast or a year and a half probably before he. Well, gets yeah, cast, Jingle right? J- Jingle All the Way is the other big one right. in between, yeah. and so it is kind of funny because and obviously you know with those movies things maybe don't translate the way that the people who made them had in their heads, but I can see a world where someone looks at watches this movie and, and goes wouldn't it be cool if this kid was darth vader right like wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if, the, if like the cutest kid in the world grew up to be like a genocidal maniac and well that, 
And, I mean, look, and I think he, that's I think that's the impetus. Obviously, when you watch that Star Wars Jake, movie, Jake, it just doesn't. Yeah. You know. Uh, well, see, I don't. Jake Lloyd. George, gets George Lucas all, just writes him a bad script. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, look, Jake Lloyd. It really like ruined that poor dude's life. Yeah, which is is a whole nother. We like, don't have to get but, into it. I but well, listener, but, I would yeah. encourage you to maybe read about it. Between, it's very sad. But, between him and the gentleman who voiced Jar Jar Binks, it's like it, it's. It's it's a it's a it's a critique on fandom which we don't need to go down the rabbit hole but it suffices to say it's unnecessary but but I do think the I the idea of the Jake Lloyd being the cutest kid who becomes the most evil person in the universe still holds sway oh, no, in the it's prequels. Great, but what like, I, like it's I a, felt it's it more book. watching yeah. this movie. I right, guess my point right. is I felt it more watching this movie than when I did watching Phantom Menace for and I granted right. I saw that when I was younger. So like you know that's why you just gotta add the after credit scene yeah. and unhook the stars. <laughs> where, where you realize they're just planet. on a space yeah. they're just on a spaceship they're, the whole time. Yeah. No, but oh. just watching it I was like, oh this I I got like, you know, it's yeah. it's the same I got like Jerry Maguire vibes, right? Where you're like, right, oh it's right. how how lucky Nikki. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like how lucky uh Cassavetti's got just getting the cutest kid well, in ca- the world. I mean, right? casting, baby. I mean, it's yeah. a, it, it ain't no luck, you know. No, that's, no, that's, no, I know. It's just you you find this you kid and it, and it totally yeah, works. It, yeah, he's great in it. Um so, yeah, Unhook the Stars unfortunately doesn't really get seen like I said it kind of comes and goes, uh moderately well-reviewed but kind of just becomes I believe it's a Miramax picture, right? So it's just kind of a a a a, a failed attempt uh in the commercial element of it but you know it, you know it, we'd encourage everybody to watch it it's, it's definitely a movie worth your time and then i think you know what's interesting about marissa Tomei's career is i do feel like she's a little bit of her her the leading roles kind of in a lot of ways end for her which i feel like is a critique on the Hollywood system in some ways, you know, if you want to say that, like, because she's the lead of happy accidents, which is going to be our last movie. And she's, you know, third, I guess she's actually second build in the watcher, which is our next. Yeah. Movie. The billing on that movie is a little wonky, though. but you, yeah. but you run into like, she's like a comic relief fifth lead in what women want. Right. Which is what one of the oh, weirdest God, parts of that. Very terrible. Movie. Ugh. And one of the and she's in one of the weirdest parts of that very yes. weird movie where she thinks he's gay and he's not gay. That whole weird part of that movie. And then even yeah. in someone even in someone like you, which is a movie I actually have a very soft spot for, but is a very down the middle rom com. She's Ashley Judd's best friend, which every time I rewatch that movie too many times, I'm always like, "That's right, it's like before <laughs> in the bedroom." She's like the best friend. How did that happen? It's the same year as in the bedroom, and even in in the bedroom and it's amazing performance she's you know she is the fourth lead right i mean that yeah. is a movie about about sissy spacek and tom wilkinson and their son right and and she's also crucial to that movie of course but like you know it's funny how she never really gets like think about ashley judd like ashley judd you know gets the run and you know she also you know got old too fast which is that horrible hollywood you know stereotype but like you know she's in high crime she's in you know uh kiss the girls right mm-hmm. she's in 
you know, double jeopardy. I just kind of, I guess my point is I wish Marissa Tomei had a run where she was like chasing a killer, you know, or yeah. something, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny she you say that. She should have been the lead of The Watcher. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh Ex- my God. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think this is a, a good seg- segue, right, to The Watcher. Please. Uh, but like, yeah, like it, I Ugh. kept thinking like, yeah, she didn't get her murder by numbers, right? Like she didn't get her Sandy Bullock murder by numbers, her, her no. double jeopardy, like what, or, uh, you know, even Angie or got the, the bone, bone collector, collector, right? Like, yeah. so if yeah, she, she didn't get, yeah. she didn't get taking lives, Angie, you know, no, right, you know, right, right. Like, so, so if we're talking about like TNT Sunday afternoon, you know, middle of the road thrillers. Yeah. Like she never. She never really got one. And to kind of to your point, Dan, which I think is kind of interesting and granted, like, you know, who knows how they how they um, angled for her when The Wrestler came out. But when The Wrestler comes out, she gets nominated for Best Supporting Actress, which feels really weird, like in retrospect. Yeah, I I would bet you that was a strategic move. I know. I'm sure I'm sure it is, given what else came out that year or whatever, like who she who they figured she might have been. Again, I'm sure it was a deliberate thing. It is just funny to think because I feel like she is. She's the lead. She's the lead. Right. It's not there's there's no no question. Um, Yeah. But but anyway, Jen, do you want to because I know that the watcher features uh, one of, you know, someone you love. So yes. if, if you if you want to maybe uh, oh yes yeah. oh Spader right if, yeah. if you want to maybe if you want to maybe take us through the Watcher quickly before we dive into it. Okay, first of all, I have to confess I had never seen this movie before in my life. But that's a I was fine confession. Watching a bunch of James Spader movies to prep along with Kate Hagen to do screen drafts. Um, she's wonderful. She was on my podcast. We did a Spader episode as well. So Spader's been well covered by Great episode. Kate yep. and I this year so far. And I was like, oh my God, it has Marissa Tomei and James Spader and Ken Reeves. Like, this has got to be the greatest movie ever. Why did everyone hate this? Well, everyone had a point, basically, because <laughs> this is terrible. I mean, there's bad, there's like 50 feet of crap, and then there's this movie. <laughs> and um, that's what this movie is. It's basically uh, James Spader is an FBI man who is, you know, all kinds of fucked up. He's one of those cliched, you know, PTSD. He's seeing a shrink. He's living in Chicago now trying to, like, put the, you know, the chaos of the job behind him. And so he's seeing um, Marissa Tomei, who is his shrink. And it's all because... This killer has run him ragged, and he keeps preying on girls, and Spader can't save him. Later on, you realize there's a connection between the killer, played by Keanu Reeves, and Spader, where he killed his fiance. It's, you know, I mean, they put a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat <laughs> in this movie. It's, yeah, it's a little much. But um, basically... It's nonsense. You get to see like Keanu Reeves dancing before he kills these women. Oh, and yeah. it's just so overdone. Um, you know, it's like every cliche of a TV show with the serial killer walks on. And yeah, it's ridiculous. One thing that was hilarious though is when I looked it up this week, I'm sure you guys have read about this too. The whole reason Keanu Reeves made this movie is because his friend signed forged his name on the contract brian was his name his okay. assistant brian yeah oh my god and <laughs> yeah. uh he knew like he would just be tied up and 
lengthy legal battles. It would get really expensive. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to make this movie. Because it was directed by his roadie from Dogstar. And, you know, he thought he was just making a cameo. So he's paid scale. Later, even Universal Studios felt bad. So they, like, kicked in a million or two million extra or something for him. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think part of the deal was he couldn't admit what happened for a good 12 months until after the movie was released. And then, you know, I'm sure he screamed high heaven, like, I didn't want to make that piece of shit. I think he did. So we did an episode on Keanu where we didn't have to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, we 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 did an episode on Keanu where we we didn't really talk about this movie because we were like it's bad. We're not really going to yeah. talk about it. Well, but, but we did talk. We talked about what you're talking about because okay. it is the most it is the most interesting. Well, part it, of the yeah, thing. <laughs> it's actually great. We're we're revisiting this movie even though it's it's not a, not a good movie, Jen, because the stretch between the Matrix one and the two Matrix sequels was the inspiration for this, this entire whole podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> because oh, really? Yeah. Because I remember me and Connor, we worked together and back when I still lived in New York, we you know, we'd see each other every day. And I remember I said to him, right, Connor, correct yeah. me here, but I remember I said to you, I was like, you know, it's so funny. You know, Keanu was a star and then he was had a few flops. And then yeah. the Matrix was like his big comeback and it was a super shocker hit. And then he made five movies that nobody <laughs> remembers between Matrix 1 and Matrix 2. And they're all like these B-sides, right? Like The Replacements, Hardball, Hardball The Watcher, yeah. Sweet November. You know, Sweet yeah. November, The Gift, right? And and you go like, Ooh, anyway, scary, yeah, that yes. one's good. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. our like third episode was Keanu, and it was really the first episode in the sense of the I think one we that reco- we kind of- I think we recorded it We recorded it first. It first. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's funny to come back to the watcher just because it's kind of where it, it all started. Yeah, really, no, no, no. I'm know? glad. I'm glad you. Point is, I'm glad you recommended it, Jen, because we didn't. We, when we talked about it, we talked about it in the context of what you just right. mentioned, which is insane. Like it's yeah. it is one of the craziest, I think, movie. It star. isn't like Keanu, the only movie star who would be like, you know what? I'll, I'll just do, do it. it if it's if yeah. it's less if it's less of a problem. I don't. I'll I know, just do he's it. He's such a mensch. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> 100%. But this is your origin story this is like my you know robert downey <laughs> junior yeah. crush and yeah. chaplin we're just that's what we're doing guys we're telling yeah. our origin stories on the b-side it's a very special episode of it, it is. this no. is a very special episode yeah, yeah. b-side colon the beginning uh, which I think is gonna it, it'll get it'll get recut later uh, by uh, Paul Schrader and it'll be called Dominion colon yes. uh, prequel to the B side. Uh, <laughs> Rennie Har Rennie Harlan God bless um, you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but so yeah, the Watcher right. Everything Jen you, you said is right. Of course, it's 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 a movie um, of its time. You know, in the sense of you're getting a lot of new metal. You're getting a lot of, oh my God. you're yes. getting a lot of acid tone, digital, you know, consumer yeah. camera. Uh, some like, some like Wong Kar Wai wannabe dream sequence stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. Well, yeah, Chris, like or we watched Chris Seven Doyle. 5,000 times before yeah, we yes. made this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and look, look, I would say this about this movie. In some corner of some 
draft of of this movie, The Watcher, which funny enough was called Driven. Speaking of Rennie Harlan, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had to change the name because Rennie Harlan's Driven, starring Sylvester Stallone, oh is my coming God. out. Six degrees again. Yeah, unbelievable. Round, round but but um, anyway. Which why was this movie called? I guess he's driven to kill. Yeah, or driven no, to the fight. Watcher is a better title. It, it is a better yeah, title. It's more provocative. Yeah. But sure. but so you know you have Keanu basically I doing a, a kind of a little, anyway. a little bit. You yeah. just think watching the woods. You, you basically get Keanu doing like the bare minimum of like a Ted Bundy thing, right? Where it's like he's a handsome guy, but he is weird. Yeah, and he's like kind of charming these women, but then killing them and like. Spader, this is really the last last gasp of Spader as movie star because you have this movie, you have Supernova, which yeah. we covered actually on this podcast as well, which are both just you know failures, and he's he's the sensible lead in both, and it's just kind of the end of him is like, oh maybe James Spader will be you know can lead our movie, which is fine because he was always a, probably a more interesting character actor, right? As, as I think we now know, right? Mm. I mean, if you think about just him as an actor, he's just such an interesting person right so um and then marissa tomei there's not much to say about her in this movie mm. because no. she's she's the psychiatrist who is literally 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 only there so that Jeopardy. she can get yeah so that she could be the final girl essentially of the movie yeah i i know i jen i'm, I'm glad you brought up like you know that like she should have been the detective right because like uh, yeah. i think this movie Spader's gets... so fucking bored i mean yeah 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 and i think and i think He's like, like i gotta get back to the boston legal or something i, yeah. I think if you just literally do a little turn on the dial boston legal that's right. <laughs> if you do a little turn on the dial and and everybody switches roles this movie's yeah. at least like 10 percent better so if she's the cop spader's Ke the killer Keanu's and the, Keanu's Keanu's the, the psychiatrist yes. it's a better movie it's oh like and you, you almost don't somebody need to... call somebody call dog star yeah joe <laughs> yes uh you just you almost don't the even need roadie. to change anything <laughs> yeah exactly you you don't even need to change like much of anything like it here's just... my question if we call luke wilson and cameron crow will <laughs> they know where joe chervonic is because of the roadies show are they hey, i'll say this hey, i mean no, Nick, i loved the roadies i know show. i okay. know you do i, I yeah. just thought of that because i saw you say that which which roadies man it is crazy were you the one who said or maybe somebody else tweeted this it's so insane that that Cameron Crowe made a sequel to Almost Famous and everybody was like, ah, we're good. Like, it is crazy to think about that in the context of just like Almost Famous, great movie, culturally only grows in with yeah. time. And, and Showtime is like, Cameron, here's all the money we have. Make, go ahead. And, and the world is just like, eh, it's just crazy that that happened. <laughs> I, it's crazy. Know, I kind of think the pilot was the problem. It, yeah, it maybe. got yeah. better like in episode two or three. The one with Rain Wolf was the one where I was like, damn it, this show is good. Yeah. yeah. And then the eggs with the, um, was it the Led Zeppelin? They were all mm -hmm. on the bus. I mean, there's some really good stuff in season one. I'm going to turn this into an entire roadies podcast now. No, <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. And, uh, you know, anything, anything to avoid talking about the watch. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, didn't you guys love the, um, 
at, if, at least I'm going to, I'm going to pivot us back as best yes. I can. But, oh. but if we're talking about music, didn't you guys kind of love the Rob Zombie needle drop? A little bit. Oh, uh, the direct, the, the Dracula, yeah, the Dracula, okay. like that very was, winking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you, Connor, you had said that to me yesterday when we were talking about it off, off, off mic. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's maybe the most interesting part of the movie. <laughs> Pretty like, much, right? The, the the only other like interesting part of the movie. Um, what I I I, I guess to. To finish my thought before, which is my olive branch to the movie, is is in the deep right recesses of one of the drafts, the nugget of the idea of like, what if the movie seven ended, right? Mm-hmm. And then you were Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey was still alive and you left yeah. and tried to start again, but the guy followed you. That is an interesting yeah. thought. And it, they just they just don't really do anything with it. I, I think even the mechanism of the movie, because um, I so I had only seen this once before, and that was before we even recorded our Keanu episode. So this I like I didn't even rewatch that for for the Keanu episode. So this is the first time I'd watched it in forever. And I forgot that, like the structure of the movie, which I think is, you know, provocative, the the cat and mouse idea of like, hey, I'm going to give you a day to try and catch me each time. Right. Yeah. Like, like, I, I think that's, I think that's kind of interesting and can certainly like, it almost feels like it was an idea for like a CBS TV show. I know and then I was like, going to say like, and it, my and friend each episode Jordan would have written it on the mentalist. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 exactly. 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 Where like, but again, if it was a TV show, Spader would have been the killer, right? Like that would have yeah. been the thing. But anyway, it, uh, that stuff, I was like, yeah, no, like this is kind of interesting, but they're also like so weirdly inept that oh. like, and I, I understand. I kept doing the thing in my head where I'm like, are they like crazily bad at their jobs, or is it that like they have a day and this is hard, right? So like, I understand that, but basically, there's a there's a woman who works at a Photoshop. Is, oh my is, god! Yes. Is one of the and they like one, somehow can't find this woman. No, no, it's like it's insane. And granted, like I get that this is before I get that this is before social media. So like I'm as okay, I'm watching yeah. this, I'm watching this with my wife. Like we're drink, bare, we're like barely. hanging out, we're drinking, we're drinking some wine, and we're just watching a schlocky thriller. So I'm like trying to like be like, yeah, maybe this is fun. And it's hard, <laughs> dude. I like I worked really I worked really hard while watching this movie. And my favorite though is the, the dude whose cups. job it is. The the dude whose job the coffee it is. cups that's yeah. right. Yeah. He, there's like, like look at the photo, look at all those coffee it cups. It takes them like yeah. hours to go. Hey, so, look, to, everyone to, has a coffee cup. Yeah. And to fi- and to basically be like, oh, is it Seattle's best? Like it's a chain well, coffee cup. Well, like, well, and also <laughs> this is another thing about when you get to movies that are just that are not complete, like this movie, like sure. Clearly, this is a movie where like we were talking about Unhook the Stars and like, oh, is there more Rick Kelly stuff missing? This is a movie where 100% stuff is missing. And a great <laughs> example is there's a whole very, quote unquote, important moment where Spader is looking at a blown up photo of this woman. Yeah. And she and he goes, he's like, wait, what's in her? What's in the reflection glasses. of her glasses? Yeah. And it's yeah. like a whole they're making a meal out of it. Like, oh, yeah. oh, God, come over here and oh, find out. Do the spectrometer, blah, blah, blah. on that glasses. And it never returns. No, no, no. They oh, like the they, restaurant. 
lawn wise or whatever. Oh, oh is yeah. that what it is? No, All okay. Right. But well, I gotta quit the podcast. To that, no. to that whole part Who of the knows, movie, though, really? I mean, it yeah. might be. <laughs> right like might it might have in the script it led somewhere else that then led yeah. to the restaurant or whatever yeah. yeah you just you just run into those things and where it's like yeah yeah no incomplete. no and it, it, it just and it just feels weird because they're also like the dude whose job it is to like print out these photos <laughs> right these these very abstract photos that keanu has taken like to give to, to give to them katie hobbs is gonna draw on he, it yeah. he he literally <laughs> lays them out like it's a fucking gallery opening like where it's yes! like he lays them out in this and yeah. i'm like wouldn't you like assemble her face wouldn't From you the like put them yeah wouldn't you put them in a way that it's like yeah this is what she looks like it's so Anyway, whatever i don't know i do <laughs> think i will say yeah we're, we're we can we can move on to our final movie but i will say actually actually my favorite part of the movie without a doubt is when they're papering the city of chicago to try to find a citizen of chicago um spader does this funny thing where the other cops are like only half asking people walking by and oh spader God, like yes. is like yeah spader, he's, like assaulting like, them. He's, like, he's like assaulting every <laughs> passerby he's like grabbing he's like shoving the paper in the face hey look at me have you well, seen this moment and, it's, and, then, and then he looks at the cop he's like i want you to do it like that and yeah. it's like okay you want me to beat up every yeah. person in chicago when they yeah. walk by like it's and so crazy here's the other weird thing this is the craziest thing right so they get in front of the they get in front of the press and it's actually i think the only time in a detective or noir movie that i've ever seen the cops be like hey press actually help us out help like us, broadcast yeah. this as much as you can which admittedly is smart like that's what you should do right yeah. like if you if you want to find a person but what i love is they're like give it five minutes of airtime and it's like what you should tell the press is like hey by 9 p.m tomorrow night we have every reason to believe this woman is going to be dead yeah unless we find her and they like don't tell them that but it's like they should i don't know it's very very strange right? Anyway. It's a messy, it's a messy picture. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the watcher comes and goes <laughs> kind, of, kind of amazingly and probably because of, um, partly because of the matrix, it does make like, worldwide $47 million. Right. That's insane. So even though it doesn't perform well, did it make its money back? Is that how much it, it cost? The budget's reported 33 million. So, right. so you know, it probably all comes out the wash at that point, but you know, it was, I really think, I think it was, if not the first, it was one of the first movies that came out after the matrix, right. For Keanu. So, you know, it had that going for it unfairly, I, I suppose, given the fraud of it all. But so Tomei is in it, but like we said, there's not much of her in it. It's kind mm -hmm. of a, it's a completely, yeah. you know, thankless role. Yeah. While this is going on, you know, we mentioned in the bedroom uh, the next year, someone like you is a small kind of funny role. Um, and in 2001, like we mentioned before, Brad Anderson's Happy Accidents come, comes out, which um, I will tell you how I watched this movie as a young man getting into film. I, like many young people, loved uh, Siskel and Ebert. Siskel, of course, mm -hmm. sadly passed away in the late 90s, I believe. Yep. So I actually, I was really into, funny enough, Ebert and Roper, if you remember, because there was a, a period there where Richard Roper 
uh, also a Chicago critic, um, they did it. So actually, the years when I was really watching it, it was Ebert Roper. And I remember I bought one of Roper's books, or I got it as a gift or something. And in his book was like, underseen gems that I love yep. or something. And Happy Accidents was on there because he really he liked that movie. Loved it. He loved it. And it was on his best of the year. And I actually rewatched that uh, doing research for this podcast. I rewatched their best of from, I think it was 2001. And it's like number eight on Roper's list. And I remember watching it. And that was the movie that got me into Brad Anderson because, you know, Brad Anderson, for the listeners out there, he had a run there of indie darling movies that were like really good, like many different genres, like Next Stop Wonderland, Happy really Accidents, yeah. Session Nine. Yeah. Session Nine is really good. Yeah. A great David Crusoe performance. Um, uh, Peter Mullen, too. And then, um, and then yeah, uh, The Machinist. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah The Machinist. Yeah. And like that run, and then to a lesser degree, I suppose, Trans Siberian and then like. Vanishing on Seventh Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Trans Siberian, too. And, and then now he's kind of. He does a lot of TV now. He did the Halle Berry movie, The Call, which was a, a modest hit, but it was not amazingly well-reviewed. So he's kind of gone on to do a myriad of things since. But those first five movies were really solid. And Happy Accidents, I remember when I watched it, it was really the first time I was like, oh, it was the first time like the idea of small sci-fi occurred to me mm-hmm. as someone who was aspiring to be a writer where I was like, oh, you could just say somebody mm-hmm. was from another time and explain it without having to like build a world that would cost a bazillion dollars. Yep. And and I love that. I really love the idea of that. And I always remembered it. And rewatching it was actually really nice because just brought me back it was just this is a really yeah. nice movie vincent d'onofrio and marissa tomei are the leads connor you can tell you're gonna just tell us what it's about quickly yeah yeah i mean you you sort of started alluding to it but basically happy accidents uh marissa tomei plays a woman named ruby weaver who lives in new york and she meets this guy great new york movie, uh, yeah. you know it, the movie starts and you kind of get a kind of a funny quick rapid fire thing of you know she she they, she and her friends refer to her as kind of a fixer right like that's like the thing that she does in her relationships with men she wants to find men that she can fix right at least stereotypically and um and so she's kind of commiserating with both her uh psychiatrist and uh and her friends kind of about this granted the movie is sort of structured in a way where we're we're te- you know it's it's uh, out of chronological order so we're teased a little bit with um uh with kind of where we're about to go and her conversations with uh with her shrink played by Holland Taylor um before we dive into all this but basically she hasn't had a ton of luck with men. She winds up meeting a man named Sam, D- Sam Deed, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, um, who seems, you know, she she mentions the thing that strikes her about him is that he's, you know, gentle and nice and sort of relatively quickly. Uh, he essentially reveals to her after she kind of sees all of his eccentricities that he is uh, from the future. Right. And he has traveled back in time to to basically escape uh, a legal circum a legal uh, turmoil in the future. Right. And it then becomes this thing where she doesn't quite know how to handle it because she thinks he's insane and she confides in one of her friends and realizes that like, oh, like 
he's just role playing right and then this, this is just sort of like a sexy relationship thing and maybe if you just bought into it like it would be fine so she kind of does and that's basically the crux of most of the movie of this like is he insane is he not and and how how kind of how does this specifically pertain to her and i think obviously the less we say in general the better because it's just i i yeah you know i I think generally you should watch this movie it's a very good movie you know you know you know what this movie is Mm. what i realized this movie is it's brad and i did not read an interview where brad anderson says this but is brad anderson extrapolating la jetee right like yeah yeah it's it's got a similar vibe like it's right you know like you know, La Jetée, for those who don't know, Chris Marker's short movie from the 60s, I think. And mm-hmm. it is one of the best things ever made. I mean, I love that. I mean, that is like, it's a film school thing, but... It's what 12 it, Monkeys it, was based uh, on, if you... Yeah, it's what 12, it's what 12 Monkeys, Monkeys yeah. is based on. But if you were doing the rom-com version of La Jetée, which is essentially like falling in love with an image, going back to like, try to be a part of that, and blah, blah, blah. And, and but amidst that was a turmoil that you maybe couldn't control. You would make happy accidents, right? That's yeah. kind of how I rewatching it. I was like, Oh yeah, there's like a very funny enough, Jen speaking of what there's a French ness to it in the sense of kind of that approach. And then I think along with everything, it's one of Marissa Tomei's best performances. And yes. it's, and, you know, she, she is a New Yorker from birth it is a perfect mm. New Yorker performance and a perfect and, New York movie where like the fights they get into, yeah. you know, Connor, when me and you lived on first Avenue, we heard, heard those people. Fights. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we heard fights. I mean, the joke living on first Avenue, Jen, when we were like 22 was like, you would every night or every week, you would hear a relationship end at three in the morning on first Avenue outside your window and then you like hear another relationship reconcile like the next week, you know, like just, <laughs> and that's just, this movie really captures that manic New Yorkness. Yeah. It, beautifully. It's, I yeah. mean, it fits into obviously what we've mentioned about her, right? Like it's, she's got that kind of manic energy. I think I, I will say if I, if I wanted to kind of dock this movie, some points, like it, it feels like women written by a man to a degree, right. Uh, at, at least in sort of their conversations with each other. Um, about men right there's a very like 2000s thing about that that i kind of was like "Eh, i don't know how real this feels but i do think to your point dan i think her uh, yeah just her general character and how comfortable she feels in it i i agree it's it's definitely one of her best performances i also i mean she has great chemistry with vincent d'onofrio too oh yeah i i think it really works and i think he's he's like exactly at the right i mean talk about space and time like he's exactly i think at the right point to like do this role and do it well because he's like very handsome you know in like a cute way he's charming he's weird obviously in the way that he kind of you know maybe pivots to he had already had he he had already done the cell at this point i think it's the same year it's like roughly around the same time yeah um and i but he was uh, i mean d'onofrio i mean he's in full metal jacket i mean no, no, yes right 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 sorry always, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a better oh, always weird yeah yeah, yeah that's I mean, a that's a better comp right so yeah. I, I guess that's the thing it's like he's he's playing off that but he it's it he's channeling it into the most approachable nice 
charismatic, cute, sexy version of that. Right. And it, and it, I think it totally, um, I think it totally works. I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting. It reminded me a lot of, you know, we talked about, um, when we did our Joel Schumacher episode, we did dying young, um, which he shows up in and he is this for a, a brief period in the movie. He's like the other guy. For yeah. Minute, he's yeah. like the other guy who kind of shows up and he's like a handyman who lives in the town or whatever. And it's it, similarly, it's kind of just that it's like a perfect role in that it plays just enough off of him where you're like, is this guy on the level, but he's also charming and like kind of ruggedly handsome or whatever. And I think this movie does that too. And I think the other thing is he does a really great job and she, she does a great job of like absorbing it and reacting to it. But like, he does a really great job of like spitting out Brad Anderson's jargon. Like it's nothing. Right. And I think that's crucial to what you're talking about, Dan, in terms of like, we need to sell you so hard on this thing without showing you the device he uses to time travel without right. you know, like anything. Yeah. And, and obviously in not showing it, that's, that's part of the approach of the movie of like, you're also constantly waiting for like the, Oh, he's not a time traveler. He's just crazy or whatever. Right. So it, but he does such a good job of selling it. And I think the way she <laughs> absorbs it is just like, uh, there's a scene later in the movie where he reveals a, a little bit more about the circumstances of why he's there and how that pertains to her and the way she just starts laughing, but it feels so genuine. And so like, like she just heard, she just snaps and she has no other way to react to this thing. Um, yeah, it's really good. And it's, yeah, I don't know. I think it, it the two of them, I think are the reason to watch the movie. Um, and I think, there's a yeah i don't know there's i I got kind of in the way you did dan i got kind of nostalgic in like a 2000s indie kind of way i was like oh yeah this is just well movies were like this this was nice yeah jim what do you uh i mean you i mean you were the one who kind of offered up all of these movies um what you know what what's your personal relationship to this one this is the reason I wanted to do the episode. It is one of my favorite romantic comedies of the last 20 or so years, basically. Uh, it's a perfect New York movie. I liked Next Stop Wonderland, Brad Anderson's film. I actually, I mean, as much as I enjoy Trans-Siberian and The Machinist, they're all brilliant. I like his quirky kind of dark spin on romance that he has. There's a realism. Um, He's not making, like, you know, an overly too nostalgic Woody Allen-ish kind of thing Mm -hmm. or Nora Ephron, as much as, you know, those movies are fun. This movie's a little... It has some more grit under the fingernails. There's more going on. Um, This film also will always remind me of 9-11 because Mm. uh, I think it was... Either Carrie Ricky or Karen James, uh, one of the two I had a conversation with on Twitter about um, them seeing it in Philadelphia. And when they walked out of the theater, they uh, read the news about uh, 9-11. Um, it's a film where I only know like a handful of people that are obsessed with it and have been since it came out. And so it's like a small kind of click of us. Like uh, I have talked about this with Richard Roper on Twitter before 
Walter Cha loves it too. My friend Kate Gabrielle, just for my birthday, gave me some original photos from the film. Just kind of surprised me out of the blue with it. I love it. Their chemistry is completely insane. I think D'Onofrio wields his charm like a weapon in this mm-hmm. movie. It reminds me of this really other great indie performance he did called uh, The Whole Wide World, um, which he starred in with Renee Zellweger before she made Jerry Maguire. Also, maybe him in like Nancy Savoka type film, like mm-hmm. Household Saints. So it's kind of a cool side of D'Onofrio. He's super charming. He's kind of like a leading man that you wouldn't expect. It's mm-hmm. also incredibly 90s. I mean, I know it came out in 2000 or 2001, but it just feels very 90s. You have Sean Gillette from Pi, Aronofsky's yeah. first picture. Uh, yeah. He's in there. He is hilarious. He's as, great. As he's this great. guy who has like a weird kind of sexual kink involving Anthony Michael Hall, which just kills me. Which um, pays off in like an amazing way. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Marissa Tomei is sexy. She's funny. I love that she is a genuinely warm hearted, good person. She isn't too, I mean, she's a little cynical when she first meets him. She wants to figure him out. Like, why did he return a book to her house? You know, some of his old fashioned, he comes to her door, um, she thought they were going out. He brings a record player. He has no idea like how to work the record player, what music even is. Uh, she introduces him to Merlot. Then that's the only thing he knows how to drink the rest of the movie. It's very, mm-hmm. very funny. Like, he wants another shot of Merlot. Um, she's just really good. I enjoy her scenes with her friends and Colin Taylor, who is Brad Anderson's aunt in real life. Uh, oh, really... I didn't know that. That's yeah. that's funny. Yeah. And uh, so I get a kick out of the payoff with the Colin Taylor character. I for, I forgot about that on the rewatch. I was yes. so pleasantly surprised. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. It's wonderful. And like, I think the, um, the, you met, you brought up the record player thing, which is <laughs> where this kind of click clicked for me on the rewatch. One thing that kind of clicked for me overall watching this now and i don't know you know it was made in 2000 so i don't know if this is a thing that brad anderson was actively playing against but it was just you know this is just more how i'm reading the movie as i watch it Uh but i do love how the movie is kind of a flipping the script on what a lot of other sci-fi does which is like a sort of somewhat infantilized beautiful woman falls falls in love with the first you know maybe imperfect man that she meets right and that's and that's how it goes, right? Like you watch a movie like, uh, like Fifth Element does that, right? Or like wh- whatever it is. Um, and sometimes for good and ill, right? Like it, it works. Sometimes it it doesn't. Um, and I kind of liked how this movie sort of flips that script a little bit, where you know he is this infantilized man, right? Because he yes. like doesn't know how to work a record player. He doesn't know what it means to go on a date or whatever. And and she's sort of walking him through it. In a way that almost like you're kind of like, you know, they have that first date, which is, you know, inside date or whatever, which is lovely. But in a way that you're almost like, is she like taking advantage of this guy? Like because he like doesn't fully understand what's going on and and not in any kind of questionable or sinister way, but just in kind of a I just think it was interesting to watch that movie 
kind of with that in mind of like oh yeah like maybe brad anderson was just like a little bit ahead of it like, but you're right you're right d'onofrio's almost playing it like he's he's the human from the time machine remember the book who live above grounds and they're like simple yeah folk? yeah yeah right it's right I mean, it's, you know like 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 500 years in the future because he's from you mentioned Connor. He's from the future, but the year is oh, twenty four seventy. Like yeah, so it's yeah, so it's like way you know, in the future. Way in the future, yeah, 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 yeah which yeah. is great. Yeah, that that was just something I kind of liked, just like to flip that script and see what it see what it looked like. Um, and it 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 like I said, it reads way less sinister or weird than it might you know the way versus the way you typically see it. I think part of what sells that is Tomei, because to your point, mm -hmm. she feels intrinsically good hearted, but also obviously, you know, not all put together herself. So it's this kind of you, you feel like they're almost evenly matched, right? Like in a in a in a certain way. And so I, I think that kind of I do helps um, set, I helps do sell it. Uh, Jen, to, to your point about Sean Gallet, I do also love that the great filmmaker Tamara Jenkins is also in the movie. Yes. Yes. Yay. Yes, she is. That's right. Private Life is one of my favorite recent movies. Uh, yeah, I love, love, love that movie. Um, um, and yeah, so I would just, Tamara Jenkins, uh, The Savages, which is a great Buffalo movie. Yep. Shout out Buffalo, me and Connor. And um, and also Private Life is another great New York movie, um, New York City. And um yeah, I think with Tomei, you know, like we mentioned, the lead roles start to kind of end here, and it's a bit of a shame. But then, like, to find the silver lining in it, and not to necessarily move away from happy accidents quite yet, but just to contextualize the moment. A couple of years later, and this is, I mean, this is a compliment, she certainly is one of the best Adam Sandler leading women in anger management where she really oh, yeah, yeah that's she, right. that you know as, as many things in that movie you know as, as many sandler comedies that might be tough to deal with now she's given an actually pretty good honest performance in that movie that i it's it's there's more going on with her character than is usually going on with, with a, yeah the wife characters in adam sandler movies and i i would have to think she has to be credited with a lot of that yeah. because she's really infusing a lot of emotion in that movie. And it's, it, it, it really helps. It like helps that movie on a larger yeah, I scale. Mean, it, it, that's a really good point. You know, Cause I feel like and, that anytime that movie comes up, I think about it. I feel like my context and memory for that movie is like, it's the last, you know, even remotely good one. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like if I think about the chain of like, the run of Adam Sandler comedies. That's well, like, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's the last one that gifted us with, you know, things that are like actually in, intrinsically funny or whatnot. You get that, you know, it gave us the great Jack Nicholson gif of him doing the not, the, no, doing the <laughs> not, the yes, not. Any, um, yes. but yeah, no, I think, I think that's a really, a really good point. And even, I mean, like with, with happy, John Saturo, Good God in that movie. Oh, so God. Just, <laughs> sure. Is he the one who's the? He, it's like the Grenada. Yeah. Grenada. Yes. Grenada. Like, Grenada. Wasn't that like? Shooting I will. Wasn't that like forty hours? Finally, my aunt told me I had to move out. Yes. I will. I will say, you know, to Turo, the only scene I remember. To to Turo's, well. yeah, to Turo's one-two shot of Mr. Deeds as the butler yeah. and anger management. They are two great comedy performances. Well, you and kind of, you know, it's funny on that note. That I think would be the maybe outside of Drew Barrymore and the Wedding Singer, 
Mr. Deeds also houses like the only Winona, Winona. F- formidable performance by a yeah, uh, you Winona. know an actress in a Sandler comedy. Um, but yeah, um, but no, I mean, click. it sure yeah. wasn't oh, click. Kate, oh, poor Kate. I love Kate Beckinsale. Poor Kate. Um, but so. Yeah, with happy accidents, yeah, I mean, Jen, obviously everything you're saying, it's it's an interesting, yeah, even the 9-11 element, of course. It came out on 9-12 in France, by the way, which is crazy. Yeah, Yeah, it came out in New York two weeks before um, 9-11, which is crazy to think about. Even bringing it back to Keanu, you know, when we talk about um, The Watcher, we briefly mentioned Hardball. Hardball was one of the movies that came out right after, right? So, like, you think about, like, Glitter... Hardball, Zoolander. Um, We haven't done a Diane Lane episode, but The Glass House, another Diane Lane movie, because she's also in Hardball, also came out like right after 9 11. Bandits. Bandits, right? So, you know, it's just that's a timepiece in itself, which is interesting to think about just from the context of everything. It's an IFC Films movie, which is just nice. You know, you just go like, ah, back in the day. I mean, they're still around, obviously. Yeah, Yeah, you still get them. Yeah, yeah. I just think all those shingles, you know, back in the day when, you know, Warner Independent was still scraping around, and, you know, <laughs> Paramount, uh, Paramount Vantage, Picture House is coming around the corner. You know, it's just yeah. nice. Polygon, Polygon. Yep. Yep. October Films had just wrapped up, but you know, it was still in the <laughs> yeah. rear view. Um, you know, those are just nice things. You know, there's nostalgia to that. As you know, when you come up with the movies, like one of my fondest memories. You know, speaking to just the indie of it all. And this is a few years later, but think film, which went under as well mm. pretty quickly. Oh, that's right. One of my favorite memories ever. One of my favorite movies ever was going to see half Nelson at the Angelica just cause I loved Ryan Gosling and like thinking it was the greatest performance I had ever seen at the time. And I, yeah, I still think it's one of the best performances I've ever seen, but you know, that's happy accidents. When you, when you talk about New York movies, New York indie movies, it, it, it captures a lot of that. And even like without even spoiling the Christy Delancey part of happy accidents, I, mm-hmm. yeah. that's so nice. <laughs> Just, you know, uh, you know, if you know the area and all that. So, yeah, I will say I mean, it, it's hit, lo- it hit differently, not not to spoil it, but it hit differently on the rewatch because, like, I feel like the last time I watched this movie, I didn't live in New York. And okay. now, you know, and so rewatching right, it, you're right. like, well, this feels obvious, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, not thinking, for, yeah. yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, didn't even live in New York, but I'd seen like Crossing to Lancy. I love New York. Oh, movies, sure. And sure I'm like, oh, I see where that's going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, Crossing to, speaking of. Speaking of Peter Rieger, Crossing Delancey. Um, But I mean, it's a, this is a great movie, you know, to end on. I think, you know, it's certainly of the four, my favorite of the four happy accidents, Mm -hmm. you know, I would put, um, unhook the stars right behind it, Oscar. And then obviously after, after a few miles, the watcher, God bless. (laughs) You're not Um, not putting the watcher at number one, bro. Seriously. Come on. uh, (laughs) A couple of quick shout outs, just as her career went on. She's in a movie, War Inc., which is not a great oh, movie, but I, I do kind of think is a fun semi-sequel to uh, Gross Point Blank, yeah. written by Cusack, starring Cusack. Kind of an underappreciated movie. It's got, not a great some, movie. it's got some funny moments in it. Um, yeah, It's crazy that her crazy, the crazy stupid love was such a big hit. That is such a weird role, though, to like, yeah. even think back to it's, that role. It's sort of like the slightly better handled version of her character in what women want 
kind of me slightly is doing a lot of work i'm just i I think it's better handled because i just think it leans into the ridiculousness of it a little more i suppose i suppose i suppose now more recently she's great in king of staten island obviously right i mean that's a recent great performance um and i actually really like she made this movie the rewrite with her and hugh grant which is like a really nice yeah. It's a nice rom-com set in Binghamton, which, you know, holds a place in my heart as a, as a, as someone with familiar, my, my sister went to Binghamton and, and I have a lot of friends from up there. So, you know, that, yeah, I mean, look, she's, she's working hard, you know, and now she's Aunt May, which cash that check forever. You know what I mean? Whatever. Uh, it is, it, it is interesting. What kind of does break my heart a little bit is like, she has since said in interviews that she's like very much regretted pivoting into mom roles and it is so it, it I, to your i guess you partially to your point like yeah she's making the marvel money which is like you know good for her and she probably only spends like you know two days on set or whatever um which is great but it is it does make me sad because like especially jen when you mentioned the the her you know she should have played the cop and the watcher i'm like yeah like can't we get her like a good hbo can't we get her a mayor of east town yeah, like, <laughs> what, you know what I mean. Like, can we get her? Like, I mean, I would love, you know, I'd prefer to see her in movies, but like, get her, get somebody, get her something that yeah. like has yeah. some meat on its bones ma- a little bit. Let's make it happen. Good. One other one that I really love, Cyrus. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was probably like one of her later roles that I loved. Yeah. Right, she she plays like a young mom to Jonah yes. Hill's Cyrus. Yeah, who's yeah. So good a little weird. Yeah, John yeah. C. Riley. Yeah, that's an underrated. Yeah, that's kind of that was the Duplass brothers kind of um, coming out of mumblecore a little bit, you know, yeah. ten ten years ago, and 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 moving on from it. Yeah, that movie that movie was good. Um, Connor, are there any Tomei performances you'd like to recommend as we wrap up here? Um. I think so. I wouldn't necessarily recommend the movie, but it sprung to my mind because I do think that um, she and Philip Seymour Hoffman are the best part about the Ides of March. Um, Ah, uh, Just because I think they're they are obviously they were, uh, you know, they were friends. um, And then obviously they're together in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, I think, which would be my big recommend. We'll talk about that movie one day on this podcast if we ever do a Sidney Lumet uh, final frame episode. But um, right, 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 right. But um, that movie, I think, is just unreal. Everybody's great in it. Um, And I do think her performance might get a little lost. I think I I think also in kind of a gross way, I think people just like pivoted to the nudity and that's like all they remember, you know, without like actually thinking about what she was doing there. Um, And it's she's really like quite remarkable because she is in a in an a very interesting way, like the glue of that movie because of the way she interacts with like the three men, the three men that the story pivots around. And um, and it's 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 one of those performances, I think, that we shout out a lot on this podcast that gets overlooked because it's just a very like down the middle baseline performance. And it's very unassuming and you don't really actually necessarily pay attention to how much is going into it. And she really crushes it. So that would be, I think, if you haven't seen that movie, it's an amazing movie. I think. I think hers in that movie is an underrated performance amidst obviously the great performances by Philip Seymour Hoffman and Albert Finney and Ethan Hawke. Uh, but she, she really kind of shows up to it and does 
great work. So that would be my, I think my big, uh, my big recommend. And let's, let's start the campaign now and get her in a really good HBO miniseries or something. <laughs> um, so Jen, as we, as we finish up, where can people, you know, remind people, where can they find your, your podcast, your writing online and whatnot? Sure. You can find my podcast wherever you find your pods, basically Spotify, Apple, Google, etc. It's called Watch with Jen. You can find me on Twitter at Film Intuition and my website is filmintuition.com. Love it. Yeah. High recommend, obviously, like we said at the beginning, check it all out. A lot of good recent episodes on Watch with Jen. We were talking before we started recording. Great episode about we're at the Three Amigos, right? The uh, Alfonso Curran and you know, oh, you, Jen. Yes. This reminded me. We're coming to the end of the episode, but you were talking about Great Expectations. Oh yeah, Alfonso Curran's movie. Yes. I love that movie, and can oh I tell God. you? And can I tell you something? Speaking sure. of B sides, Jordan Raup, who I started the film stage with, he works at uh, Film Study Lincoln Center. I don't even know how many years, two years ago, they had a Curon retrospective and Jordan, he told me about it. And I was like, dude, got to get me those tickets to great expectations. So I got, I was lucky enough to see great expectations on the big screen mm -hmm. um, at film society. And everybody in that theater was there to watch the like infamous great expectations adaptation that Quran did that even him that even Quran kind of disowns. Yeah. yeah. And they were all kind of like gossiping about it, like laughing at different parts, like during the movie, like it was kind of like some bad. And I'm Bastards. sitting in the middle of the theater. I am sitting, I swear to God, this is a true story. I am sitting in the middle of the theater weeping from like minute <laughs> one to minute to 120. Cause I, I love, I love that movie. Yeah. I can't really explain it. I just, I have, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. And when you were mentioning like the Revlon pack or whatever you got in the podcast, I was like laughing. I was like, oh my God, I need to mention this to Jen because that's how many yeah. people love that movie. There's only like, <laughs> it's like a happy accident. I think of people. You, you, might like, yeah. the, you might be the two, frankly. <laughs> yeah, might be probably. Yeah, it's like you two and Ethan Hawke. Or the maybe I don't even know if Ethan got I don't know if the only thing <laughs> the only positive thing I heard any of them ever say about that is Gwyneth Paltrow said she loved Ethan Hawke ever since that movie because he was an amazing oh. like person on set, which is nice, That's you know. Cool. But, yeah. But um anyway, so great expectations. We'll cover that movie definitely one day in this Someday, podcast. Yeah, but we'll get to yes. it. check out check out all of Jen's great work. Um and Connor, oh, as always. I mean, I guess I'll say for me at DJ Mech on Twitter. Please check out at Fathom Stories. We're writing stories every month, recording them, audio stories, uh, Twilight Zone-ish. And um, we have one coming up that's pretty exciting. So if you have any inclination, please listen to that. But other than that, I'll pass it back to Connor to wrap us up. Uh, yeah. Uh, first off, just Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank um, you, guys. It was wonderful talking to you. I was really excited about this because you're – I love your podcast. You're also a great Twitter follow for those of you. Oh, out there. indeed, indeed. Um, so oh, thank, uh, you. Th thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB Side. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, if you have any suggestions, any comments, any concerns, you can email us. 
uh, at uh, B-side, B-S-I-D-E, at thefilmstage.com. And let me say, next episode, we'll go through comments and thank people and read some comments, because I've been meaning to do that for a long time. So that'll be yes, something we'll we, do, we we'll tackle do a, the next one. We'll do a catch-up for sure. Um, 100%, yeah. But uh, until then, I'll just I'll shout out to our subject by evoking the great Joe Cocker. And I'll just say, you are so beautiful, Tomei. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it. That's that's. That, I don't know if that was the. I don't know if that was the best of the worst one you've ever done. Of those. <laughs> <laughs>